0: This week on the show, we welcome Brian Yates, the founder of the Bovine Classic Gravel Event in California. Brian and I got connected last year, which was the inaugural year of the Bovine Classic, and I was super excited about his concept, super excited about the location of the event down there in the midsection of California by Morrow Bay and San Luis Obispo being the closest major city to the event in Arastadero. as you'll hear brian has put together a course that highlights the rolling hills the larger climbs the vineyards the breweries the single track everything you'd want to touch in that region and packaged it all together for a great weekend for family and riders alike as you'll hear the event has a couple warm-up rides and shakedown rides in the days approaching it and then four options of routes to explore the area, depending on how big of an appetite you have for gravel in that given weekend. The event happens in October, and I encourage you to check it out, and I encourage you to listen to the conversation. I'm going to apologize in advance for a few technical hiccups we had during recording. I did my best to edit it down, but Certainly didn't want to lose this conversation and wanted to make sure, obviously, that everybody is familiar with the Bovine Classic. Before we jump in, I did need to thank this week's sponsor, Hammerhead, and the Hammerhead Carew 2 computer. The Hammerhead Carew 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options. As Brian describes the course later in this podcast, I couldn't help but think about the climber with predictive path technology feature that Hammerhead rolled out last year. This is the type of feature that'll let you know, are you facing one of those 45 minute long climbs ahead of you, or is it some of the punchy stuff that Brian will describe? I found that invaluable when going on routes that I hadn't been on before because it just gave me the right mindset for approaching a longer climb or potentially trying to push a little bit if I knew it was a rolling climb. That's just one of the many features I enjoy on the Hammerhead Karoo 2. Hammerhead software updates and new feature releases allow your Karoo 2 to evolve and improve, ensuring that the device you get today will be even better tomorrow. I've got my personal device connected to both Strava and Ride with GPS. I can import routes directly to the device. I can export routes. I can do everything that you'd wanna do. I also just became aware, since I'm borrowing an e-bike right now, that the Karoo 2 has a new e-bike integration that delivers detailed battery usage right to your display. So I need to set that up if I'm gonna be hanging on to this e-bike for a little while, right now our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo Two. Visit Hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code The Gravel Ride at checkout to get yours today. This is an exclusive offer, so don't forget to use the promo code The Gravel Ride. You'll get a free heart rate monitor with your purchase of the Karoo Two computer. Just visit Hammerhead.io today, add both items to your cart, use that promo code, and boom the heart rate monitor price will disappear. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation. Brian, welcome to the show.
1: Craig, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's good to finally get you on the podcast to record and see you face-to-face. I know we first connected about a year ago, and it was going to be the first year of the Bovine Classic, and there was a lot of unknowns. You hadn't done it before, so great to finally have you on.
1: Yeah, it's great to actually earn my spot in the seat this time.
0: (laughs) I'm sometimes sheepish about bringing first-year events on that haven't actually happened yet because it's so much of an unknown. Um, Not that I had those fears for you because I know in talking to you and just seeing the materials around the Bovine Classic, you were putting a lot of energy and intention on making the event a success. But at least now we have 2022 behind us. And we can talk about it in real terms, and we can talk about what's changing and why people should be excited for 2023.
1: Well, let's be clear. I'm still PT Barnum in this thing, right? So, <laughs> it's still a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of just my enthusiasm.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like the first five years of any event, there's just a lot of learning that goes on. Oh, for sure.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we learned. So a lot let's of start off by here.
0: setting the stage a little bit, Brian. Yeah, for sure. Let's set the stage. Where Where are you in California? Just to set the stage for the listener.
1: All right. I am exactly halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. So it is exactly the midpoint. We are about 17 miles inland from the coast. So uh, Cambria, Morro Bay is out on the coast, but those are our neighbor neighbor towns? We're on the inland side, where things look ranchy, farmy, and Tuscan. And we're also so our nearest big city gotcha. is San Luis Obispo.
0: Got it. So stepping back for a second, how did you get involved with the idea of creating events? How did you get into cycling? I know there's a lot to this question, but I think it's important as so much of event organizing and course design is sort of a love letter to where you've been riding. So how did you arrive at this point and how did you get into gravel cycling?
1: Oh man, I love that. That's like one of my favorite questions. So uh, I was a really avid cyclist as a teenager. I was the kid who had, you know, spent all of his allowance on in the eighties, the $3,000 Italian bike. Right. And then, uh, and then I, I left the sport behind for a lot of bad habits for a while and came back, came back, you know, like a lot of us do. I kind of popped my head up in my late thirties. What have I been doing? What have, and I came back to cycling, came back to racing, uh, racing because uh, I'm not very good at it. Right. <laughs> completely, uh, completely just above average. So I came back to that and then I'd been coaching. I started really coaching cyclists for about 10, 12 years and had been deeply involved with a pediatric, annual pediatric cancer ride that I'd been the team director and coach of for many years, called Pavlov Across America. And I'd been living in Los Angeles for you know a long time, and about four years ago, uh, my wife and I decided that we were done with Los Angeles and that our careers were portable enough that we were looking for a place to move and we ended up in this town called Atascadero, which is just below, uh, Paso Robles, California, for those of you who know that, you know, basically what we're known for here is it's essentially like the frontier land of Disney. It's sort of a flyover town. We have the mental state mental hospital and, uh, it's an emerging, it's an up and coming emerging town, but we moved here and we were, really welcomed by the community super fast. And I took a gap year that first year, ended up riding my bike everywhere, riding all the time. In fact, we moved here and I dropped my bags and I was taking a group of cyclists to New Zealand to go ride. And I dropped my bags and said, I gotta go train cause I'm gonna be riding like hundreds of miles per week for the next you know, three weeks. And my wife's like, great, get out of here. I don't want you actually putting anything away. It's like, go ride. Went to New Zealand, then came back, came back and was riding a bunch here. It was like, it's 2019. And we had a lot of rain that year as well. And everything was super green. And I end up all of these places, you know, riding in a new place is a lot like learning a new language. I think it rewires your brain in a different way because you have to sort of get lost intentionally and, find this new persona and yeah. find your way around. And I started discovering all these things. Like this is every bit as good as all of these things I was doing in New Zealand. This is stunning. And I'd ridden through here a bunch taking the Pobliff crew, but I'd never gone deep. So let's fast forward a little bit. I'm a big Yuri Housewold and I have been friends for a million years and I'm a big fan of his Bantam classic race. It's this little, Underground race. Can I say that, Yuri? I hope so. <laughs> it's, just, uh, it's, it's a little less underground now. And I, I love it. It's up in Petaluma. It's not a gravel race, but it is, you know, as we talked about Sonoma Road. So come with fat tires. And I kind of thought I got down here. I was like, you know, maybe I'll do a, sp- a fall answer to that. Something really cheeky and we'll call it the bovine classic. And then I put it away. And I had been working out of the Atascadero Chamber of Commerce, had my office there for a little bit, and was checking out because my home office was built. And at the time, I was going off to go work with a bunch of the executive athletes that I was coaching. And the president of uh, the Chamber of Commerce said, "Oh, <clears throat> what are you doing?" I so, "This is what we're doing. we going to go ride a bunch." He said, "Anywhere interesting?" I was like, "Yeah, here, 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 here," and. As a complete aside, this was a complete throwaway comment. Like I didn't think twice about it. I said, and we have world-class cycling here and nobody's talking about it. Nobody's telling that story. And said, do you want to do an event? I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) So what we ended up doing is I've done a bunch of work. (laughs) Yeah, I've done a bunch of work with Peloton Magazine in the past as a consulting brand manager and digital manager and also have had written a bunch for peloton i thought why don't we bring my crew down and we'll do a full-on like year-long tell the story of what's going on here and really market it as a as a cycling destination as kind of like a lake garda minus the lake for cycling well here's the thing Anyone who's going to give you money for that wants an immediate return. And so, what I quickly found was the only way anyone was going to do anything is if we were putting heads in beds. So the idea yeah, of
0: tr- that makes sense. Taking
1: yeah, the idea of taking the slow approach wasn't going to work, and so all my internal resistance was futile. <laughs> So we I, we pivoted and we I hate that term we 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 changed directions and put together a really great story. Um, and you know, a long time ago, I used to be a, a producer at Disney. And so you know, you can take the boy out of Disney, but you can't take the Disney out of the boy. And so it was all about the story. And started creating this great story and started getting local buy-in. And once I got local buy-in, it was like, crap, we have to do this thing now. <laughs> That's the long story for us, and now we have to do it.
0: Yeah, I love that. you know it's so interesting the different welcoming reception you get from a smaller community that can benefit from 400 more people coming into the community, and that can have a really significant impact on the livelihood of the hoteliers, the you know the the restaurants, et cetera, and everybody can get stoked for it versus in larger communities there's a resistance to bringing anybody else in.
1: I don't think we could have done this in San Luis Obispo. I don't think we certainly couldn't have done anything like this in Los Angeles. It, 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 it had to be somewhere small and it had to tell a story where people were going, Oh, Hey, that's interesting. You know, it's so funny. So I, I presented in front of the tourism board here in Atascadero Tascadero and like the former mayors on the board. He's like, okay, I want you to come over a Friday and we're going to have we're gonna have drinks and dinner with the mayors of San of, of Paso Robles and atascadero. you're gonna tell it because I love your story we're gonna so you know the next thing I know I'm like sitting there having have having, having happy hour with the mayors which is just so funny.
0: I love that It's probably a, I suppose in the, in the again in these like rural markets like you do get that kind of reception and the event organizers are kind of brought in in a collaborative fashion which, I imagine just sort of opens up a lot of doors for you, whether it's, you know, going through ranch, private ranch land and just getting the right introductions to allow access to some of these areas that may not push through in, you know, non-race day.
1: That's really a great, a great question and point. And it's absolutely true. You can get things done a lot more quickly uh, in these smaller communities when they're receptive. I mean, you know, Atascadero in some ways has it is in the heart of the Paso Robles wine region, which is arguably one of the most beautiful regions in the world. And by the way, I want to come back to that just a moment on a, from a cycling standpoint. And yet, most people don't know about Atascadero, and so some of the work that we had to do was is around the marketing of saying we, this is the wine region; it's not just the town of Paso Robles. And I think that. There might have been a little resistance from, say, the Paso Hoteliers, which have more money than a Atascadero Hoteliers. Like, why are we doing this even though you're not going to be here? So, Because we're selling the whole region and people are going to stay with you. And we're pitching that. And the, the downstream effect is that people are going to come to your resorts and stay with you when they're not here at the race. So yeah, but it, it's definitely it takes a little bit of work. But you know, we at one of the meetings with the Paso people, the the city's um, deputy manager or economic development director has seen my pit, seen my pitch a couple times, and he piped in. He's like, "Yeah, let's give this thing money." And frankly, I'm absolutely ecstatic and delighted to know that our dirt roads are actually a luxury item that we can that we can market. So. When you're telling a story to people that they're not used to hearing, that also goes a long way.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. You talked a little bit earlier about how you fell in love with the area through all the writing and exploration you were doing. As you started to think about specifics for the bovine classic based on the terrain you had available, kind of where did you net out? Like, what was your philosophy going in A lot of races have mixed terrain. A lot of races now have single track in it. How did you net out in expressing, like, what's the best the area has to offer?
1: So the first thing that I want to come back to, and I'm going to get into this because it's related, is that if you look at the Paso Robles wine region, that total mass is about two-thirds the size of the land mass if you've put Sonoma and napa together but so we're about two-thirds that size so we're huge but we have one-tenth of the population so the easy story there is that what happens is that you i can go out on a five-hour bike ride and see 15 cars so from a cycling standpoint it's like this is what happens if uh you know disneyland creates bicycle land right and the other thing that that (laughs) we really had while moved here is that a couple of bonds came came due and there's been a ton of investment just in the actual roads themselves so the tarmac the roads themselves are are a joy to ride on so the way it went netted out is that we have some public roads that include uh, that include these dirt roads that are all just marvelous and they cut through different climates within the paso region so you know east paso is very different than what happens to west on on the west paso side and there are a lot of little surprises that happened on these public roads just like visual surprises and uh we wanted to showcase those and you know there are other rides that have gone through here and done this and we haven't done anything incredibly unique with the course we just let the course be for this year, for last year and this year as it is. I mean, one thing we did want to add is that because we were coming back into Atascadero, <clears throat> pardon me, what we wanted to do is that we have, uh, Long Branch Saloon was one of our, is one of our sponsors and they're out in uh, the town of Creston, which is about 15 miles east of Paso. And we do a pre-ride out of there on Fridays called the Fried Pickle Ride because it's known for their fried pickles. Uh, but it also has this amazing single track and probably one of the most beautiful, that ends up on one of the most beautiful dirt farm roads I know in the county. I was like, well, we got to, we have to find a way to put that in. And it was really, we wanted to, there's no way you could do a hundred miles of straight gravel here, right? I just don't know that that exists in most of California. <laughs> but what we could do was <laughs> was a course that I sometimes like to call the Strata Bryonki, and it was this combination of dirt to asphalt to dirt to asphalt. And, you know, when people come up, when riders come off onto the asphalt, they're greeted with beautiful asphalt with twisty, windy roads. So everything was going to be part of the experience. And then we wanted to hit some wineries along the way. Like we have we had one winery that opened up doors and they said, yeah, cut through. We'll let you cut through our vineyards to skip this thing. And I mean, I think it freaked some people out a little bit because it had a really hairy descent. (laughs) But for the ones who were at the front, it was like, yeah, this is great. I love it. Others were, you know, sliding about. So that's one of the things that we're also working on is, you know, this is getting that trust that you alluded to Um, down the road. Like one of our mission pillars is to make friends with the uh, ranching community so that we can change our course up and so that we can do different things to get access to areas that others don't have access to. And so, you know, right now we start with getting small segmented access to, to vineyards because there's all these awesome roads that go through vineyards, dirt roads. So we get access to that. And then hopefully just keep earning trust and keep expanding and earning trust and expanding and, you know, down the road, maybe we'll get lucky and be able to turn this into something like Rebecca's, you know, Rebecca's, uh, stage race. And so we have multiple days of official rides. That would be, that would
0: be the dream. Amazing. So where did you net out on sort of the available course distances and course options for riders
1: for this year or last year?
0: Uh, if you want to contextualize it with last year, but let's, yeah, we can talk about this year as well.
1: Yeah, we have uh, three courses last year. We had the big bovine, which was about 97 miles and 9,000 feet of climbing. So, you know, I call us America's fourth hardest cow themed gravel ride in a California wine country in America, partially because we're cheeky. But I think the other part is that it's no joke. I mean, you know, 9,000 feet and 97 miles is no joke of riding. And we're very serious about that we want it to be a challenge. So we had the big bovine and then we had uh, the happy bovine, which was uh, 65 miles and 6,000 feet of climbing. We had the baby bovine, which was 42 miles and 2,800 feet of climbing this year. <clears throat> this year we have the big bovine again. Uh, I keep wanting to add this river section that's as a last segment that just right that skirts a Tascadero. But we pulled it out last year because it seemed kind of unduly cruel at the end of the ride. We thought, okay, we're going to put it in this year. And now that whole section has been decimated by all of the rain. So I'm still not sure that we could, like we said, we'll put it in, but I don't know that it's going to be worth it to go in. But Assuming we can, the big bovine goes up to 101 miles and just over 9,000 feet of climbing. Then there's the feisty bovine, which is about 76 miles. And we've added a fourth course, which is the new New happy bovine course, which skips... A couple of climbs, but still like seventy miles, and that goes out on some single track, so that cuts off a different part of the course. And then we have the Happy Bovine, which is pretty much the same as last year.
0: On the longest course, how is that climbing accumulated? <laughs> Are we we talking about you know thousand foot long climbs or twenty five well, different hundred foot climbs?
1: That's a it's, it's just a proper mix. You know, the funny thing is okay. that a when I moved up here from Los Angeles, I used to be a pretty binary rider because that's how the climbing was. You go up and you come down, and you go up. And here, it is way more Belgian, right? There's so many rollers, just so, so many rollers. And, uh, you know, those rollers can pitch up at 17%. It's no joke, right? So you c- accumulate a lot of a rolling. And this is a this is a great question that I should go back and look at the specific percentages. But then we have several long climbs. There's kyler canyon is a five mile ish climb and so you probably gain 900 feet Cypress is a good 45 minute climb and so that's probably another another 900 900 feet or more and then santa rita road will probably get what is that 1300 feet of climbing and then And then the single track out on Rocky Canyon is about a mile or so. So you don't get that much climbing, but you get some tech. It's technical. So, and it comes at mile 72. So it hits you when you're hot and fatigued at that point for sure. But again, that's all, all that stuff is punctuated with a lot of that, uh, a lot of the rollers.
0: How long do you think it takes for the bulk of people to finish that? Is this like a, a 10 hour day at that point?
1: You know, I think our final rider, actually, we took off at 8 AM last year. And I think our, fi- our lantern mouge came in at four o'clock, but I mean, he just got sidetracked by something. I and mean, It wasn't really anything bad. So I think he came in at four or four 30 was our final rider last year. So yeah, it's a long day, but I don't think it was a 10 hour day. I mean, I definitely, I'm, you know, I was kind of slow last year and actually I was really slow last year. And I sat out and did it myself one day to just as a little empathy check for our riders. And I think it took me seven and a half, eight hours
0: to do it. Yeah. I was going to ask about aid stations and what your philosophy was there.
1: Great. I love that. So our philosophy, you know, we did well in some parts of our aid stations last year and we did less well in others. The overall philosophy is that I want them to be expressions of what's cool about the area. And we have a lot of businesses doing a lot of boutique stuff. I mean, it's a wine region, right? So people are inherently doing creative storytelling through wine and distilleries and products. So our first aid station is a beautiful winery and they were excited to have us and it came at about mile 20 and it was kind of a bummer that a lot of people skipped it but uh their thing was they were serving hand ups of homegrown home cured homemade prosciutto so uh like stuff that they had grown from grown and made from their farm was like here you go and they were serving it with these apples that the that the pigs had been fed on they're like oh no you have to taste it with the apples so uh, so we want it to be those kinds of things. And then SRAM did an amazing aid station out on the top of one of these mountains where people get up, they're exhausted, they're pissed off at me and SRAM's up there throwing a party. And then people go, wait, that's the Pacific ocean. Holy cow. They, we have these great bakeries. And so what SRAM did last year was basically created a bake shop. They went and bought all of these amazing pa- uh, pastries and people get up there and just chow down out on locally made pastries and then our third aid station needs need some TLC. <laughs> we need to put some paninis and things like that. And then I want people to be, you know, I sort of want people to, to go back to the finish line, you know, heavier than when they left. And if that means they also get a case of like type two diabetes from good food, then that's, I'm okay with that too. Um, and then our fourth aid stop was out at Long Branch Saloon. And it's so funny, they're like, what should we do? Like so fried pickles, give them fried pickles, give them fried pickles. And so they were serving up fried pickles and that was, you know, people were stopping and uh, I'm not supposed to tout this for liability, but people were stopping and ordering, ordering burgers and beer at mile 80, hanging out at the, at, hating it out at Long Branch and then, you know, poodling their way back the last 20 miles. So it's all about showcasing what's cool and what's the character of the place and what makes it Special, and I think there was also someone who hopped in and did an unofficial aid station where, uh, you know, they were serving beverages that they shouldn't have been serving, <laughs> but they did it in the middle of nowhere. They, we love we love that they were there, but at the same time, it was like, uh, I don't want to own that liability.
0: May have to check in with that Lantern Rouge winner and see if they ordered a burger at the brewery and and stopped for libations at Mile Eighty Nine. Given the the course you've laid out, what type of equipment are you recommending riders arrive with in terms of like tires, for example?
1: So I think it's going to be a little early to tell because I don't know what the turf is going to be. I will tell you what my standard tire is, and then you all can make decisions however you want based on this. But we will get a little, we'll get more to it. As we get closer so generally i will run um the pathfinder 42s because i'm old and lazy and like a plush or the pirelli cinturato H's because there's a lot of there's a lot of, of terrain of asphalt and i don't want you to be bummed out by the asphalt it's actually super exciting people get so stoked on those descents because it turns into like roller coasters so the Cinturato H. Uh, I mean, during the winter, I've been running the Rhomba, the Specialized rhombus up front, and a Pathfinder in back. But it's going to depend on what kind of trail work gets done on Rocky Canyon, which is our single track. It's going to depend on what happens to some of the dirt roads that we go on, because we've had some some of the dirt roads that y'all rode last year have basically fallen into the ravine because they've just been so saturated so the county's been really great about getting in there and fixing stuff but let's wait until we get a little bit closer but right now you know the the pathfinder is a pretty solid choice it rolls beautifully it holds the road beautifully and you know it actually for like a 42c tire has a relatively low rolling resistance which makes it fast and fun
0: yeah. I think that's so much fun when, I mean, you want to hate your bike or your tires at least once during a, an event to sort of push you and force a decision one way or the other. Where do you want comfort? Do you want speed? At some point there's going to be a trade-off.
1: It's going to be a trade-off. I talked to, uh, I mean, a lot of the guy who ends up in a lot of our Instagram photos is my usual ride buddy. And you know, he's leaps and bounds stronger than I am. And he's is talking about riding 32C Pathfinders for next year. It's like, you be you, dude. That's If that's what you want to do, go for it. It's definitely rideable. Uh, you know, I would ask someone after we have Yuri and Allison out, I'd get their feedback and see what they want. But I think that, you know, I think that on the long course, we're not going to see a lot of improvement on the Rocky Canyon single track, which has turned into a proper mountain biking climb. So that's that uh, for me says stick with stick with a wider Pathfinder and just go because of where it lands in the course.
0: Yeah, got it. There's a couple other things I wanted to point out about the event as we were talking about offline. You know, there's many rides and events that people roll into that day, do it and go home. It really seems like the way you're orienting this event with activities several days before, you expect and have experienced that people are staying in the region for a few days. Can you talk about the sort of notion of planning a long weekend down there and what the riders might experience?
1: Oh God, I I can talk about this all day and all night. I didn't know that when I grew up, I was going to end up being a tourism guy by accident. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, so I, I think let's, there are some challenges here for the sprinter set. All right. Slow County is relatively strict about what it can conce- what it deems as public outdoor camping. Uh, in fact, it, they, it, the county has technically made it illegal to even RV camp on someone's property. Now it's on un- unpoliceable basically. So I would just say, you know, if you're coming down with a sprinter, call me and let's put, let's hook you up with some some place where you can park that. But like as far as events go, come down with your family. Like there's so much to do. It doesn't just have to be about wine. I mean, it's a beautiful place to tour. Uh, There is south of here, a really fun zip line tour, for example, that is over, that goes over a vineyard. And so that's really fun to take kids to. You can go out to the coast. I mean, it's a 30 minute drive to the coast and hang out at the beach, go to Cambria, Morro Bay. So, There's all of that. I know um, we have one of your, you're in Marin and we know, I know one of your, your Marin crew is coming down. We've got about a crew of 15 of yours who will be coming down and kind of staying together. And one of the things that we've done is set them up with a private in-house wine tasting from a a well-known winemaker who doesn't happen to have a tasting room, but really wants to show up. So, you know, you know there's sorts of things that we can do like you can get introductions to say wine makers who are doing interesting things where you may not actually figure find out where they are. Um, and there's you know there's great restaurants. Like one of the things we did last year that was a little that was different than other rides is we don't do t-shirts. Mostly because we find like 40% of the people want t-shirts and 60% say no, I'm just going to clean a chain with it anyways. So in our rider bags last year, we really tried to keep it with local products. And there's a company that makes beautiful fresh and dried pastas. And so our rider bags were had pasta, had local, locally made granola bars from a bakery. And so we try to keep it with local goods and kind of give people a bag that's like, here's a taste of pasta, or there was locally made jam. So we that's sort of the approach is really all about showcasing the cool stuff that's being made here.
0: And what about riding before the event do you have pre-rides organized what does that look like i should have picked up on that question
1: before yeah thanks for teeing me up (laughs) so thursday night we will have uh thursday evening we'll have a little ride out of paso robles and that you know last year again we were totally we were surprised as heck by our our pre-rides last year um on thursday we did one we'll do one out of paso and you know, we had 20 people show up for that, which was fantastic. And uh, Canyon was there. And I Canyon, if you're listening, I certainly hope that you'll be there again. Uh, Canyon was there. They they hosted that ride. And we did, you know, 20 miles that Thursday evening. Friday, we met out at Long Branch Saloon where the fried pickles are. And we did a pre-ride out of there. And it was so funny. Like, none of us expected what we got. Like, we were there. We figured, oh, we'll have 25 30 people. Uh, we had 70 people show up for that pre-ride. It was so it was, you know, people were full on ready to come out and play. And then everyone stuck around and had had lunch and beers at the saloon afterwards. We did another pre-ride that day, um, Volet, the local kit maker, which is made and manufactured down in um in Pismo Beach. So about 30 minutes from here. They hosted a pre-ride out of Atascadero in the afternoon for latecomers. I don't think we're going to do a third one this year. It's just a lot to juggle. I think we'll focus on the two Thursday and Friday. And then we yeah. have the packet pickup party on Friday evening. And we had 80% of our people picking up the packets the night before, which I think was a reversal for what Bike Monkey usually experiences. And I do want to say this is a Bike Monkey production. Like this couldn't happen without them. And we're really incredibly grateful to be part of their, their network of rides. So that's a, it's a special thing to do a bike monkey event.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And for those listening, if you did not hear my interview with Carlos, a few episodes back with respect to Trucky gravel, we do talk about bike monkey as a production entity and some of the other great events that Carlos has been working with the last decade. So certainly a top class organization to have behind you and, provides a lot of confidence. I also wanted to make a personal note about the region you're talking about. I've had the pleasure of riding down there a little bit. And I remember when you announced the event last year, I was so enthusiastic about it because I totally agree that it's this gem that's within good driving distance of both LA and San Francisco, where you can get down there and have a completely different experience than you're having to the north or to the south of that area.
1: It's such a unique experience for sure. I I, I still, uh, after four years, I still get up and I will end up in certain sections of this, of the the region is go, I, I can't believe, I can't believe I have this. This is phenomenal.
0: What's the cycle camp? What's yeah. the story behind that?
1: Yeah. So uh, this will be our third. We have a, a camp coming up in at the end of April, and this is the third annual one that we've done and usually brings about seven to 10 riders and people just get here and you know for a lot of them it's their opportunity to this year we have a lot of new riders but in general it's like for people to come together and just enjoy some different the course sliced up in different ways over four days so you know we have it coming back up again in a couple in a couple of weeks and everyone's you know the uh the ribbing has already started and people are already talking about their favorite segments that they're looking forward to and so um you know and they get the, they all come back and like this is great i love coming here this is, is amazing and i forget that it's you know three hours from la and three hours from the bay area
0: love it a couple of things i wanted to mention and a final question for you I, I did note in your materials that you have discounts for groups which is amazing so if you're listening and you want to go down there whether you're three people, five people, or eight people, they provide discounts. Which, as we all know, these events are more fun when you go down with your crew. And then the final thing I wanted to just ask you about and give an opportunity for you to talk about is you've always had a charity component for the event as well. So could you talk about that charity and why it means something to you?
1: Yeah, this is really this is really special to me. You know, just because our theme has been all about the local we found a local charity that's doing really important national work. It's called operation surf. There is a uh, movie on them on Netflix. And then there's been a a piece that's done on them on ESPN. And it is an organization that creates surf camps and surfing and ocean education for injured returning veterans as, as, as a gateway to, to a pathway to recovery, and working through PTSD, and really, you know, helping save people's lives, and I got a chance to do that. I'd go to one of those camps last year as a volunteer, and it's absolutely touching and powerful. So, what we have done is we have created. It costs five thousand dollars to send a vet to one of those week-long camps, and so last year we created the More Mariah Wilson Ride Like Mo. Uh, uh, Operation Surf Scholarship to raise $5,000 to send one female veteran to a camp. And thankfully, you know, we hit that $5,000 last year, and that felt really great. And if we got to send two female veterans to a camp this year, that would be such an impressive legacy for, for Mo. And, you know, we thought that surfing... Surfing communities and gravel communities, there was a lot of interesting overlap in the two of those. And we felt like they're both strong about the community. They were both strong about sense of place. They're both strong on so many about being connected through outdoors in a way that a lot of other sports aren't. So that's so Operation Surf. Check them out. It's operationsurf.org. We're really, really fortunate to have them as charity partners.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. So good that you were able to kind of cross that threshold of getting at least one person to attend, another veteran to attend that camp. And hopefully we can get two this year. I'll make sure to put links to the event, which is the last weekend of October this year. So people yeah. know how to register. And I'll also share a link to that Operation Surf. So everybody knows how to get in touch with that and familiarize themselves with the importance of that charitable organization.
1: I appreciate it. I know they will too. It's absolutely lovely.
0: Brian, thanks so much for all the time. Thanks for the efforts in putting together an event in this region. I love to see it, and I look forward to seeing it firsthand this year.
1: Thanks so much for having me on. We love talking about the event. We love talking about it with passionate people, and I love what you're doing with the podcast, Craig. So thanks so much.
0: Thanks, Brian. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Brian from the Bovine Classic for joining us. Make sure to check out the Bovine Classic. You can just search for it or you can find the URL in my show notes. Continued thanks and appreciation goes out to our friends at Hammerhead and the Hammerhead Karoo 2 computer. We very much appreciate your support of the show. And if you're interested in that free heart rate monitor, just visit hammerhead.io Put a heart rate monitor in your cart with a Karutu computer, use the code Ride, and that heart rate monitor is all yours. If you're interested in connecting with me, please visit The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community where you can connect with other gravel and adventure athletes from all around the world. If you have a moment, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. And until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your